Okay, we're recording. This week's parishes. Well, before I start, I'd like to. Uh, I'd say that this year is dedicated to the memory of Yosef Tuvia, Zichrono Lebrocha Ben Yisrael Aryeh Hirsch. Yosef was a student in uh, Yeshivat Neftar and was a person of uh, rare human qualities. When he came to the yeshiva, he had, of course, finished university. And he had also spent some time working for the joint in Romania where he was uh, kind of developing community consciousness. And he felt very strongly that it was important to deepen his understanding of basic Jewish texts in order to carry that message with him. As I said, unfortunately, he was tragically, uh, he tragically died at, uh, at a very young age. He just left the yeshiva, he was in Yerushalayim. And tonight is his Yerzeit. So once again, I say we dedicate the Shia. Le'ilui Nishmas Yosef Tuvio Ben Yisrael Aryeh. Hirsch. Okay. The parasha Bechukotai. The parasha Bechukotai begins uh, with a rather conventional, with a rather conventional message. In Bechukotai Telechu, Vet Mitzvotai Tishmeru Vasitim Otam. So as if you, if you're good, and you do chukim and mitzvot, and you really do them, you know, with the annual chumras, and with everything else that goes along with it, you're very serious, you do what you're supposed to do, then I'm reading the psukim on the sheet. V'natati gishmechem bi'itam v'natna ha'aretz yivula v'etz ha'sadeh yitain piriyo. There's a reward, the Torah says, in Olam Hazeh. There's a reward in Olam Hazeh. And this, it seems to imply that the Rebbeinu Shalom is, is watching us. And if we do the right thing, then nature will produce a proper response. And the proper response that's discussed here is rain, and the yields of the field, and the fruit on the tree. But so those are all natural things. I mean, we plant the trees, or we, you know, plant whatever we plant, the tomatoes, and we hope for the best. And if it rains when it's supposed to rain, and if the sun shines when it's supposed to, sun is supposed to shine, we're going to get two good tomatoes out of the deal. So that in all of these things, we have limited input. I mean, we can do a lot, but we can't do everything. We always need, we always need nature's help. Now in this pasuk, in this, this pasuk, it would seem that nature is a synonym for God. It's not something that happens at random, but it happens because God wants it to happen. And then the pasuk goes on and it says that other good things are going there, but there's a third pasuk, which, uh, strangely enough, is not in the sheet, but it's the pasuk that I'm interested in. <coughs> the pasuk that I'm interested in is "Beratate shalom ba'aretz," and there'll be, you know, if everything is good, if all the people are good, then peace will reign upon the land. "Beratate shalom," "Ve'ushchavtem ve'ei macharit," 
and you'll you won't be nervous about things. You'll be able to lie at peace with uh, with whatever's going on. Now listen to this. Vishbati chayara amin haaretz. Vishbati chadis pasuk vav. It's not on the sheet. Vishbati chayara amin haaretz. Which um, I mean, I don't know exactly what that means, but it sounds like it means that if there's a chayara ah, if there's a chayara ah, there's like a a wild animal, or animals that tend to go out killing people, Ishbati God promises, they will also be on vacation. Ishbati is like the modern Hebrew word, Shvita. That they will, they will simply be deactivated somehow. So this is what the Pasuk says. The Pasuk, the Psukim say, that if you do good, if you do the right thing, that good things are going to happen to you. Good things that seem to us to be natural. But it's their foot. The, the fact that so many good natural things will happen to us at that time can only be attributed to God. So in other words, rain is natural. Right? And sun is natural. So when it rains, you don't have to get too excited. Right? But the Pasuk says you're going to know that it's God's intervention. It's never this good. It's only this good because God intervened. So all of those things, all the things that the Pesach mentions, are natural. And we could argue that, you know, where God says, the Torah says, that if a lot of good things happen to us, so that's not natural. That is not natural. But then the Pesach goes on and says, Hishbati chaya ra'a min ha'aretz. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean it's natural or it's against nature? It was who put this chayara ba'aretz? I mean, Akadosh Baruch put the chayara in the land. So, if Akadosh Baruch wants to do me a favor, so then we should build big zoos or something, or fence off large a- areas for the safari. And the chayara will be over there, and I will be over here. What is shpati chayara amin haaretz? What kind of statement, what does it mean? What does it mean? So the pasuk, these pasukim, say like three things. Condition, in if you do the right thing. How much you have to do the right thing? What the percentage is? How many people you need doing the right thing? That we don't know. But the Torah is talking to Am Yisrael. Im The second thing is, nature will be on your side. The rain will rain, and the sun will shine, and, uh, and uh, the crops will be, will be plenteous. Right? That's the second thing. And the third thing is, there's going to be something that happens that's against nature, that's counter counterindicated. Because a chayara, he's not in this deal. He doesn't do mitzvot. He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't uh, find favor or disfavor in God's eyes. The chayara is just a, you know, a piste chaya. You know, it's like, you know, like, what do you expect? The chayara, it's just the chayara. No? Part of the advantage of in the chukotai lechu 
will be that you can walk around at night in the safari and not worry that some lion is going to come to eat you up because the lions are going to stop eating up people. That's what the psukim say. Three things. Now this idea, the first idea, is extended or expanded by Rashi. So look at Rashi. See Rashi says, mitzvot says, is the phrase in referring to kiyum mitzvot? So Rashi says, Kishu Omer that mitzvot The second clause in the same pasuk is in mitzvot So the first clause in cannot be talking about mitzvot because it says that the second clause quite quite clearly. Amur. The Pasuk, the Rashi, the Pasuk, according to Rashi, talk about Kibbut Mitzvot. So what does Embechukotaitelechu mean? Ah, this is one of the great phrases of all times. Shetiyeh Tiyu Amelim Batorah. That's what Rashi says. Now, Sometimes Rashi says things, and we're not sure what exactly the connection between what Rashi says and what and us is. But in this case, anybody's ever been to a yeshiva, or anybody's ever listened to somebody with a long black coat talk about life, this phrase always comes up. you Now, this phrase is so popular that I'm a little embarrassed to say that I'm not sure exactly what it means. What does Rashi mean? What does Amelim Torah? I mean, you learn Torah. You mean like if you stay up all night? That's called Amelim Torah. You know, there's a meaning on Shavuos. There's a meaning on Shavuos. Shavuos never has a holiday that has no positive mitzvot attached to it. Bizban Hazet. So in our never-ending desire to find something to do on Shavuot, so we came up with staying up all night, which is really a wonderful, a wonderful invention, because, because it's exactly counterindicated. <laughs> if you say that Shavuot is the holiday of Matan Torah, and if Matan Torah is the time that you're supposed to be involved in learning Torah, so most people understand there's a point in the night where it becomes ineffective. You know, like, like it's great to stay up all night. You know, some people can do it, but 99 point something percent of the people in the world really can't. So if you're going to say, if you're going to say uh, uh, the obligation, Chobas Hayom, stay up all night so you can give a couple of you understand that that's a sentence that contradicts itself. Because... After a certain point, the only thing you can reasonably do is drink coffee and eat cheesecakes, which, which may in fact be <laughs> what Shavuos is about, but it's not the way it is sold. It is sold as the Talmud Torah, right? The extreme act of Talmud Torah that's possible. That's how it's sold. Okay, so I say, Anelim Torah. That's what Rashi says. I don't know what it means. Because I know that if I, if I work hard, that's good. But if I work too hard, everything becomes counterindicated. And that's, you know, everybody's mother once told him, or her, 
Uh, you have to go to sleep sometimes. You can't just stay up. Now, this was revelatory uh, to, to many young people who thought they could just stay up forever. And maybe they can. But they can't learn Torah while they're staying up forever. That you can't do. So, there's a kind of a, an openness here in the word I may live, which leaves me uh, unhappy. I'm not sure exactly what it is I'm supposed to do. What is I may live Torah? But I learn Torah, and I participate in Sheirim, and I even give a Sheir from time to time. But I'm male, you know, my, it's the sweat that's produced by my Torah learning as good as the sweat that's produced by somebody else's Torah learning. There are people who are, uh, who, who are known as great, uh, uh, very devoted to learning Torah. You know, the Nitziv. The Nitziv, after he got married, I don't know, he wasn't, I think he wasn't in Volozhin before he got married. Well, I'm not sure. But after he got married, he used to literally learn in the base Medrash, in Volozhin, day and night. And when it was warm at night, he would put his feet into cold water to keep himself awake. And he never went home, except Friday night to make Kiddush. At least that's the story. Maybe he also went home sometime on Tuesday night. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, but he really was an extraordinary masmid. He was extraordinary in his capacity to just keep doing what he was doing. And after many years, he emerged as one of the great Yeshua Yeshiva of all times. But most people can't do that. And they have either physical or mental uh, limitations that don't allow them to function in that way. So could it be that the Torah is making that demand on me, act in an unnatural way, in an unpleasant way, in a, in a non-productive way? That's why I understand what Rashi and yet everybody loves the phrase Torah. In fact, you know that in Yeshivot, not thank God in, in uh, seminaries for women, but you know like if a boy comes to the Rosh Hashiva and tells him that he feels he has an ingrown toenail so the Rosh Hashiva will generally suggest that you sit and learn more to take care of the problem it's like there's no relationship between the problem and the solution but that's what Rashi says that's what Rashi says let's go on Mitzotai Tishmaru Learn Torah assiduously in order that you should be able to lishmo lekayem. Now that just means, there is, of course, if you don't know the Torah, if you don't know what is demanded of you, how are you going to be successful? So maybe that's what, what Rashi means. But again, what's the amelim? This is true. Of course it's true. Of course it's true. This is one of the, one of the uh, critical proofs that indicates that women have to learn Torah. You know, women have to say Birkas Torah in the morning. Right? It's a similar in the Shulchan It's also the Siddur. And the Siddur doesn't usually say women, but it's for women also to say Birkas Torah. Why do they have to say Birkas Torah? Because they have to learn Torah. Why do they have to learn Torah? Everybody knows that the Mitzvah Talmud Torah is a man Mitzvah, not a lady Mitzvah. So one of the Tehrutzim that's given often, it's in the beginning of the Smat, it says that, well, I mean, how are they going to do anything? I mean, you have to keep kosher, you have to do mitzvahs, you have to, so of course you have to learn about it. If you don't learn about it, you're not going to know about it, right? This is a, 
this is a, one of the things that the Shluchim of the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe found out when they came to Morocco. Uh, they came to Morocco, so the Rabot in Morocco were very happy that they would set up Mostot for the men. For the men in Morocco. There were, very, there were no Mostot, so the Rebbe, the Rayats, sent Shluchim. That was how the Shluchim business started, I think. Sent Shluchim to Morocco, to Tunisia, and told them they should they should do work in Jewish education. So they came and they wanted to set up Mostot. And, uh, and they did. But the Rabbanim of Morocco were only willing uh, to have Mostot for men. And that's for women. They didn't want schools for women. Because they said, women should stay home. And whatever they have to know about in Torah and Mitzvot, they'll learn from their mothers. That was, the, that was the theory. So the Lubavitcher guys, whoever they were, understood that this was not correct. And that you can't just learn from your mother. Because you're not going to... Uh, it's, not, it's not a good way to do it. Whatever the reason. So they organized an exam with the Moroccan rabbis. They asked all these women... The girls, the young girls, and the older girls, they had some questions about Kiyu Mitzvot and, uh, and Kashrut in the home and Tarat HaMishpacha, and they saw, the Moroccan rabbis saw, that they really didn't know anything. And that this system of just walking around and, uh, and sort of getting it by osmosis had limitations. And so finally they agreed to open a school, open a school for girls, for girls as well. So, Rashi says, In order to keep the Torah, you have to know something about the Torah. And Rashi says, that's what Amelim, Amelim the Torah, so that Rashi harks or, or harps upon this notion that Amelut makes a difference. Even though I'm not sure what difference there is between saying Amelim Torah and saying learn the curriculum. Learn the curriculum. You want to know about, about how, the, how the household should run. You want to know about the mitzvot in the Beit HaKnesset. You want to know about, about Kashrut. So you have to learn it. What do I have to do with Amelut? I mean, look, the Havdil, if you want to learn how, to, how a car works, so you have to learn how, to car, how a car works, you learn how it works, and then you, you're in the clear. What do you call it? Amelut? That's Amelim? It's not clear. Okay, now let's look at this Ramban. Now the Ramban is referring to that part of the Pesach that's not here. This is the end of the Ramban, in Pesach Vav. And the Pesach says, Bati Chayara Amin Aretz. Remember? Vishvati Chayar Abin Haaretz means the wild animals will disappear. Right? The Mishugin Echayas, like the elephants won't push anybody, and the lions won't kill anybody, and the, and the, the little animals won't, the snakes won't bite anybody. That's Vishvati Chayar Abin Haaretz. So listen to the Ramban. Look with me. The first line in the Ramban. Vinei Bibriyatoshe Lolam Ne'emab Echayot. When God created the world, the following we said about Chayot, 
God gave the animals, the grasses in the world to eat. The pasuk in the, in the implies, let's just talk about the chayot, because that's what it says in our pasuk, that chayot are vegetarians. That's what the pasuk says. Because the food that was designated for the chayot in this pasuk, et kol yerek esev l'achla. V'amar ha-katuv, and further the pasuk in Breshit says, v'ayichain, v'ayichain is the way the Torah says, it was that way, and it'll always be that way. That's what Vayichain means. Doesn't mean that. God wanted to make a table, made a table. But God made the ultimate table. The table that would never change. The things that would always stay the same. That's what Briyat Olam is. Briyat Olam is God's creation. And God's creation is unique in that, once created, it's always that way. It never, it never changes. So, Vayichain. The Ramban is talking in a different language, a language that he likes. He says, What's the teva? What's the nature of the animals? What's the nature of the chayot? But they eat grass. They eat grass. Not everybody eats everything. Right? There are, most animals eat certain things. But according to the way he understands the pasuk, all the animals were designated to eat grass. And only grass. Okay? V'achakach lamdu ha-teref. And it's only later on that they learned how to uh, attack one another. To kill each other. The animals. I'm talking about the animals. And this was a development both on the level of humans and on the level of animals according to the Ramban. That's how he understood, he understood it. Because God created the world. He created the world vegetarian and peaceful. But people and animals somehow learned to change that world or make it into a world of, of uh, murder and meat eating. Meat eating implies killing, right? It's not like eating a banana. Banana. You eat a banana, you didn't kill anything. But you eat a steak. Behind every steak, there's a dead cow. Right? So now, you have to feel good about that. And we do, obviously. We all feel good about it. Because we eat steaks, we don't say, hoy, that poor cow, you know, like... It's a cow. It was a cow. Now it's a dead cow. I mean, what there is of it. So that was something according to the Ramban. The way the Ramban understands the history of the world, that was a secondary uh, uh, fact which was created by the men and the animals in creation. And when HaKadosh Baruch Hu said it would be possible to eat Baalei Chayim, living animals, to B'nai Noach, after the Mabu, after the, after the flood, 
And the Pasuk says, but, don't think you can get away with killing men, women. He said to the animals, the animals could eat each other, but they could not eat up men. That's what the Pasuk said. If somebody kills a man, he's going to have to pay the price. He says, he says that the that the nefesh chaya uh, somehow assumed this position that you can kill others. Now this is the important part. Now, you see, in the Ramban's theory of the history of the world, I told you before that if God created the world in a certain way, it shouldn't change. So how is it possible that the animals were created vegetarians and they became beef eaters? How is it possible that man was created a vegetarian and became a beef eater. Even though the Machlokas Rishonim about whether uh, whether man could kill an animal. I'm sorry. Machlokas Rishonim is everybody agrees that man in Gan Eden could not kill animals in order to eat. The Machlokas was about carrion. Like if you came across a dead animal, could you eat it? That is a machlokas. The Tosa says you could eat it. But in principle, the Ramban is correct that in creation, man was a, man was a vegetarian. Because murder of a living thing, it seems, was something that was unacceptable to the Torah on some level. So I say it's true that according to Tosas you could eat carrion, which means that you could probably, you know, eat a lot of steaks as you go along, but you couldn't kill the animal. You have to wait for another animal to kill the animal that you were eating the steaks from. So it doesn't sound so pleasant, but I guess in those days it was possible. So how does the Ramban see it? How is it possible the Ramban says himself? He says, how is it possible that God created the world and he made everybody vegetarian? Because... God wouldn't want life to kill life, another kind of life that God had created. So everybody was a vegetarian. And then it changed. There was the marble, there was Noah, there were things that changed. How did it change? So the Rabban said, look, it depends where reality is. So that's a word I understand. It's a very popular word today. Where reality is. Where is reality? Is reality with the man slash woman, who could not maintain the standard of vegetarianism, or is the reality Eretz Yisrael, where everything is going to be like it used to be. So that the Ramban says, well the Ramban, the creation did not change. It's not true that God created the world in one way and then it became a world that was a different way. What's true is that people were not able to maintain the standard. However, in Eretz Israel, Eretz Israel was the, the holy land, the special land. What was holy about it? What was special about it? So Abad says, well, 
It's the place where the original design of HaKadosh Baruch was still in effect. So in Eretz Yisrael, people were different. People might be different, could be different, should be different, and so. Let's go back to... He says, Beyond Eretz Yisrael ala Shleimut. You see that line? It's like the sixth line. Beyond Eretz Yisrael ala Shleimut, Tishbat Ra'at Min Hagam. Rozid Eretz Yisrael, Tishbat or Tishbot, Ra'at Min Hagam. Their new custom that they have assumed, which is to go to the to Burger King, or Burger Queen, or Burger anything, and to eat a hamburger. He says, No. Tishbos ra'at minagam. V'yamdu ala teba rishon. And man will assume the position of teba rishon. Of the original teba. Asher husam bahem be'eti tzirata. So what's going to happen in Eretz Yisrael? Or what should happen in Eretz Yisrael? Everybody should become a vegetarian. Everybody should become a vegetarian. O'klai skatim izebisedet toldot noach. Right, but this is I already explained in my commentary elsewhere that this is this is what really happens. Is a pasuk about the end of days, the end of times, and what's going to the end of time? Yeshua shalom ba'olam. Shalom. What is shalom? Shalom is counter-indicated in our reality. You know, so our reality, we say, okay, well, we'll make, it, we'll make sure it looks like shalom. But really, we all hate each other. And if we had the opportunity, we would really, you know, get after each other. It's true for everybody, everybody in the world. Shalom is a fictia, because it's only an accommodation. It's something you, like, you, you agree that even though you want to kill each other, that right now that's not such a good idea for you. So that's called peace. That's called shalom. But real peace, where a person looks at somebody else and says, oh, you were also created for, by God, and therefore you're very important, that kind of peace, that doesn't exist yet. Until Beata Goel, until the Mashiach comes, Sheshua Shalom Ba'olam Yechdal HaTeref V'ra'ata Ba'ima V'chol HaRemes K'asher Yabetiv'am Mitchila so this is the Ramban's view of things. That what's going to be at the end of days, or whatever you know, we call the end of days, what's going to be is what was. That's always the argument of the Ramban. And that explains why the Torah took the trouble to tell us about Gan Eden, and to tell us about walking around in Gan Eden, because the Torah wants us to know that Gan Eden, according to the Ramban, Gan Eden is not something in the past, but Gan is where we all should be. And if we follow the rules of the Torah, that's apparently where we'll get to. And so he ends and he says, uh, That he had something about Chizkiah Melech, which we can live out, leave out. You know that. You know that there's a famous discussion, an argument between the Rambam and the Ramban about a posseg in Yeshayahu. The Pesach in Shayahu says, V'gar Ze'ev in Keves. You know that Pesach? It's like a well-known Pesach. Every, 
every non-Jewish potentate who comes to Israel says that someplace along the way. Zahav is a wolf. And a Kevin is what? And it's on the UN building. How do you know that? I was in the fourth grade, they took us to the U.N. building and showed it to us, assuming that everybody would think it was a great victory for Judaism. <laughs> I'm not sure that's the case anymore. The God's Avon Keves means there's a Zave is a wolf, and a Keves is a sheep. Now, the, the Novi says, or well, the future, if things are good, the God's Avon Keves. So what does the Rabbam say? The Rabbam says, the Rabbam is a scientist. Right? amongst all the other things. He says, can't be. No wolf is going to lie down with a sheep. No sheep is going to lie down with a wolf. He says, that's crazy. They know very well that this is not a match. It's like mixed, but it's not a match. So, so he's not going to do it. The Zev is not going to do it. The Kevin is not going to do it. And therefore, the Rabbah says, it's a mashal. You know what a mashal is? You should know by now. A mashal is what? It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor for the nations of the world. And it's, the Pesach is talking about political peace. That the, the nation that was the Zaev, it's going to get along with the nation that was the, the Keves. That's what, that's what the, uh, the Rambam said. The Rambam believed. We can't, we can't disagree about it. The Rambam knew a lot of Torah. There's no reason to think he was wrong. But we can't prove it. We can't prove him right, can't prove him wrong. But he believed that when the God created the world, that was the end of creation. And the world is going to look that way forever. So if you take a, 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 a kind of a... You take a wolf, and you take a sheep, and you put them into the same room, and you lock the room, and of course the wolf is going to kill the sheep, see, that's the way it's always going to be. So what did the Navi mean? He meant the wolf, that's a nation, and the sheep, that's a nation. There'll be some sort of political accommodation. That's what, that's what the, uh, the Rabbah said. The Rabbah. Human nature can change in a way that animal nature can't. Who said that? No, but he doesn't say that. He says that nature, that human nature is like, sounds like psychology. But he's talking about what we do naturally. Well, we, well, we have an inclination to do that. Never, that will never change according to the Rambam. Rambam didn't know about Darwin, and he was not yet, you know, keyed into that kind of that discussion. But the Rambam thought, the Rambam thought that creation is the last word. The way the world was created is the way it's going to be. The Ramban, who lived several hundred years later, those bazoozies about this. He thinks that the Rambam it's totally wrong. And he has the following arguments. First he says, he says, the Navi said it. I'm Navi Yishayel, said, the guy's having Kevin's. So who's the Rabbi? Why is the Rabbi not to believe him? That's what he says, you should believe him. The second thing that the Rambam, the second thing that the Rambam says is that if the Rambam had a Medrash, that said that the Zayv and the Kevis are nations of the world. So he says, okay. So he has a Medrash. Because the philosophy of a Medrash, of a Chazal, that's what they say. You, you can depend on the Chazal. So the Chazal say, but there's no such Chazal. Where does it say Chazal? Rabban knew Chazal. Where does it say Chazal that the Zayv is a nation and the Kevis is not a nation? And therefore, 
The Ramban insists, this is in the Jewish Rosh Hashanah, the Ramban insists that the guy's Avim Kevish should be understood literally. Should be understood literally. Now, what is the Ramban's position based on? His position here. His position right here. What's his position? That there is a basic, a natural uh, uh, inclination, a teva, that all the created beings have. And it's true that over time we may have messed it up a little. And we may have deviated from the way God wants us to be. But we're going to go back to that. So in describing the end of days, the Novi Yishayahu, it's brilliant. He should say, he says, that the animals will go back to their essential nature. And their essential nature, their essential nature is peace. To get along with other created beings, etc. What? The I uh, eat grass. Yeah, okay. I mean, I could also eat uh, lasagna, I guess. Yeah, right. Everything, everything's not meat is grass, right? So that's what the Ramban thought. The important thing, the, the question that's hard to argue against the Ramban about is that if God made it a certain way, it should stay that way forever. Sof ma'asev ma'chshavat chila, we always say, that, that, that uh, there's a foreverness so the idea that God created, that God created something. So we have now two things that we learned. We learned a little bit of Amelut Batorah, and we learned about we learned about uh, the essential nature versus the secondary nature, and how in God's Adam Kevis everything's going to go back to be the way it was at the beginning. I want to remind you of this famous Gemara, also because. We just went through Lagba. Oh, I mean, you did. I was in Chutzlaretz. Chutzlaretz, they don't have Lagba, if you remember. Lagba is uh, strictly for, even though I was in Stanford Hill. The, I went to a wedding, and the wedding took place in Stanford Hill. And I, in a schoolyard in Stanford Hill, it was at Lagba there were kids with a, with a bonfire. I couldn't believe it. But then I thought to myself that this is only, they only do this since the Muslims came to England. Because <laughs> the Muslims get away with everything. Well, whatever they want to do, they do. So now the Jews are starting to do that as well. Okay. Listen to this. This is a very famous Gemara. And you know, of course, it's relevant to everybody's own lives. But let's just go through it quickly. Tana There's like a brighter. So the Gemara places as a kind of like a, an ultimate question. On the one hand, the Pesach says, which we can a- explain as meaning work. People should work. I mean, how are you going to get food if you don't go out and work and get, get it together somehow? But the Pasuk in Yeshua, which the Torah, the Gemara here takes very seriously, is, says, Lo Torah What you should do all the time is learn Torah. Right? So this seems contradictory. If you learn Torah all the time, who's going to do the, who's going to go out in the field and collect the tomatoes that you grew? So it's a problem. So Rabbi Yishmael says, don't take the Pesach in Yoshua so seriously. 
right? But take the other pasuk seriously. That if you don't go and work, you're not going to have anything else. That's Rabbi Yishmael. Rabbi Yishmael is a practical person, right? He sounds like everybody's grandmother. Timre Rabbi Yishmael. You know, like, you know, the mothers, the grandmothers always say, you have to make something of yourself. Right? You know that idea? Make something of yourself. So that's Rabbi Yishmael. Rabbi Yishmael said, you want to eat lunch? Make it. You know, it's not going to just show up on its own. Here. All right, we'll go on. Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai. And you know, Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, He's the, he's the grandfather of Lagbona. There are places, there are places where they say that Shivan Yochai was born on Lagbona, he died on Lagbona. This is unsubstantiated, but everybody feels that that was the reality. I mean, you know, if you, I don't know any other good day for the birth of Shivan Yochai, it might as well be Lagbona. So Shivan Yochai had a different idea. I said, look, work, it's not like you could just work. Work is a, a, a major annoyance. It starts in the morning and ends at night. And then it doesn't stop. You're supposed to think about your job. You're supposed to worry about it. You're supposed to be nice to the people you work with. I mean, work is like uh, pretty encompassing. So I'm sure you guys says, work? People work, so where do they learn Torah? This is not like work. It's nothing the Rambam said. The Rambam said, I had a good idea. You work three hours a day, and you learn nine hours a day. That was a good idea. But there are many jobs that give you that independence. You know, the Raman thought, he says, if you're a shoemaker, you can be a shoemaker three hours a day, maybe. But if you work for a large computer company, you probably can't. Like, you go to them and say, I'll work three hours a day. So they won't hire you. So I bet, but Shibin Yochai said, Shibin Yochai said correctly, that there seems to be a contradiction between life and Torah that the Torah demands of us Amelut. That's Rashi. And Amelut certainly includes time. Right? The time has to be given over to the learning of Torah. And if we take the time and we invest it in um, we invest the time in, uh, in work. So when are we going to be able to learn Torah? Work is hard. Work is demanding. That was Rav Shiva Yochai. So Rav Shiva Yochai, who is often depicted as being kind of a space cadet, not true. He had a really good kasha. He had a good kasha. How are people going to learn Torah if they work? That was his kasha. So then the Gemara goes on, Elab is manchi Yisrael osim ritzo no shel makom malachtan naseit al yedei acherim. Now that specific idea that when B'nai Yisrael do what they're supposed to do, then others will labor, right? I'm not saying, I don't think the comparison is accurate, but you know that here in Eretz Yisrael, the, the, the level of labor, like the labor that, that Israelis are prepared to enter into keeps going higher and higher, right? They're not willing to, to do the kind of work that Filipinos do. And so there are a lot of Filipinos in Israel. So that's what the Pasuk says. The Pasuk says if you do the right thing, 
all these Filipinos are going to come and take care of things that you're not going to take care of. Of course, it's not clear that the Israelis today are doing the right thing. But, they're, but, they're, but they're, the Moshal is there. The Rabbam says, if you want to teach your children, you want to teach your children, like just tell Israel what slavery is, so you tell them, you tell your children, take a look at this, uh, this woman who's helping us, serving and cleaning up, right? What do you call that kind of a woman? Housewife. Uh, no, no. No, not the housewife. The housewife is telling the woman what to do. So, so the, the, uh, let's not go into that. So, so this woman, so the Ramam says, if you want your children to understand what Avgus is, you show them the maidservant who is serving the food in your house. The same thing is true today. So if you want to show your children what it means to have spiritual uplifting, you show them the Filipinos that are walking around and doing all the jobs that we don't want to do. Even though they're jobs that some very often are mitzvah jobs. But we don't want to do them anyway. So this is what... So the Pesach in Shayahu says, The Pesach in Shayahu says, the foreigners will do these kind of jobs. They will, they'll be in charge of the sheep. Okay? It was manch, Eid Yisrael, Osim Yisrael, Oshim Atom, Rechdan Naseit, Al-Yedatzmam. So, according to Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, according to Rabbi like, like Rabbi Yishmael says, this is a argument that takes place in the world. Rabbi Yishmael says, listen, I want to eat lunch. If I go into the cafeteria and I don't have a dollar, I'm not going to eat anything. So I have to make a dollar. That's what Yishmael says. And what does Rashid and Yuchai say? Rashid and Yuchai says, learn. So, the end of the Gemara is, the end of the Gemara is, listen to this. You see the next to the last line, the last two words? Abaye was a Tana in Eretz Yisrael, in Bogda, right? Rashid and Yuchai was a Tana in Eretz Yisrael. What did that mean him of? Rabbi Akiva. Right, the author of the Mishnah. There's a long period of time passed between, between, between uh, uh, Shimon Yochai and Abaye. What did Abaye say? Many try to follow the directive of Rabbi Ishmael, and what they do? They worked and made lunch. Altavi Adam. It worked out. But he says, Look, Rabbi Shimon Yochai, They tried to learn and not work. And they all stopped. It didn't work out. They were unhappy. So that's what the Gemara says. That's what the Gemara says. So I say, That's what the Gemara says. So what about Shimon Yochai? He also knew that it's not going to work. He himself had to go into a cave and stay there. Right, for 14 years, in order to do what he wanted to do. And he did advise that everybody should go to a cave. What was Rav Shimon Yuchai's, what was Rav Shimon Yuchai's argument? Everybody understands that you have to work, you have to eat. Well, somebody has to work and give you something to eat. You know? So the answer is that Rav Shimon Yuchai held a combination of position of Rashi and the Ramban. Again, what did Rashi say? Amelus Patera. And what does Amelus Patera create according to, according to the Ramban? It creates the original world of creation. And in the original world of creation, what rather, here's an apple, here's a banana, here's a pomegranate, it's all there. You didn't do anything. 
You don't have to make anything. There's, there's such a world. But what does that world, being in that world, depend on? It depends on, on your ability to maintain the standards of that world which Adam Arishan was not able to do and Noah was not able to do. But Rav Shimon Yochai said, the Amelu Shabbat Torah, this option that we have to get very involved in Talmud Torah can change our spiritual state. We become, we change from people who, who work part of the time to people who are totally involved in, uh, in the world of the Rebbein Shalom. So Abaye came along and he said, Nebuch, he didn't mean to say that Rabbi Ishmael was right and Rabbi Shimon Yochai was wrong. No. Rabbi Shimon Yochai was right. What Abaye is doing is commenting on the weakness of Am Yisrael. He says, look what happened. People, people should have try to do what Rav Shimon Yechai did. And then the world would have been a different world that we lived in. And then we would have been in a world where we could all grab on to whatever we needed. And by grabbing on to whatever we needed, we could continue to learn Torah. So that's the way Rav Shimon Yechai visualized the world. And so Rav Shimon Yechai became a kind of a, 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 a kind of a gibor. He was a special kind of character. He wasn't like everybody else. Even though he was the great student of Rabbi Akiva, he was also the person who brought Nistar out of wherever was hidden into the world. Right? Rabbi Shimon Yochai is the author or the compiler or whatever word is appropriate of the Zohar. And the Zohar is the book that reflects the first time that, that Nistar was written down and became available. Until that time, until the time of Shimon Yochai, you'd have to find a teacher, and a teacher would have to deem you worthy. But then suddenly, it was possible to take the Zohar off the shelf and to look at it, and to see what's going on, so that, that Shimon ben Yochai has a position, along with Moshe Rabbeinu, and Ezra HaSofer after him, and then Rav Shimon Yochai as one of the people who brought the Torah into the world. Because the Ramban says, the Ramban points out that in his introduction, the Ramban points out his introduction to, say, to the Torah, which is printed in the Mikraot Gedolot to the beginning of Breshit. But it's not an introduction to Breshit, it's an introduction to the Torah. So Rav Shimon Yochai, Yochai, the Ramban says that when Moshe Rabbeinu went up to Har Sinai to get the Torah, he received I mean, exactly how he received it is, is a different discussion. But you see the Torah Bechtav, plus the Torah of Nigle, which we call Mishnah, Gemara, Rishonim, that's the Torah Shabbat of Nigle, and the Halacha, all the books of Halacha, and the Torah Shabbat of Nistar. That Moshe Rabbeinu, the, the, the conduit, of Nistar, books like the Sefer Abohir, and, uh, and later on the Zohar, the book called the Zohar, which is the book we're talking about. Those, that information came to B'nai Yisrael through Moshe Rabbeinu, but in a Nistar form. Because on the, when it came to learning Nigla, the regular Torah that we all learn, everybody participated. But when it came to learning Nistar, that was only the people who were worthy. Only people who were able to reach that level of, of study 
who learned who learned Mistasa Rav Shimon Ben Yochai. So Moshe Rabbeinu gave us the Torah, Torah Shemichtav, and the Torah Shemalpeh of the Torah Shemichtav. Yes, Ezra Sofer was the one who had to produce a perfect text. Right when they came back from Bavel to Eretz Israel, there were all kinds of problems that existed in the in the reading. People came back from Bavel, you know, little communities of Jews, and they brought Sifrei Torah with them from the shul, they had shuls in Bavel. But when they looked at the Sifrei Torah, they saw that they were not all accurate. They didn't always say the same thing. And at the time of the Beit HaMikdash, we remember that there were Svarim. There were special books of the Torah that were kept in the temple that you could check. You could bring your Sefer Torah and check against the Sefer Torah in the Beit HaMikdash, but that was destroyed. So Ezra HaSofer, he's called a Sofer, because he was very precise about these things that he did. And Ezra Sofer was, had to reinstate the Torah Shebikhtav. There were many differences of opinion, like Kri Uchtif, right? Sometimes you have a word that's written one way and read another way. That all goes back to Ezra Sofer. And finally, Hashem Yechai was the last one who gave the Torah. was the last one who gave the Torah. And so Hashem Yechai when he says you should learn Torah all the time, he's talking about something that he knows about. He's not talking about uh, an idea. He's not spreading a, uh, a good thought. But he knew what it was. The fact that B'nai Yisrael were not able to climb up the ladder with Rav Shibin ben Yochai is, a, uh, is a, a sad tale. But that's how, that's how it was. Uh, I'm not going to do it now, but you the clock here. Look at On the second page, there's a uh, a long text of the same Shmuel that tries to combine these ideas, just as I, I have tried to do it uh, in the in the Sheyur. If you have stamina, you could go through look at the the Shevi Shmuel. Have a good Shabbos. How are you doing? It's very warm in here, isn't it? We have Marv. We have Marv. Hello. Yeah. You know, when somebody gives you something, what could be a burden, and what not, somebody let me their car. Everybody should. So I, I knew I was going to come this way. But just find a parking space. You're very bad tonight. Tonight's especially bad. I don't know why. I actually heard that I've been, 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 I've been